Your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. Your loving kindness will sustain me. Your love will get me through. If I just have your love, God, the psalmist says, it'll get me through this difficult time that I'm facing. You find that Jesus tells the disciples something very similar on that final night before he goes to the cross. Go with me to John chapter 13. Jesus, you can imagine the thoughts that are going through his mind as he's there in the upper room. He's there breaking the bread with them. He gives them the cup. He has this special celebration with his disciples. And he has to be thinking, how do I prepare them for what they're about to face? They don't seem to get it. They don't seem to realize that I'm about to go to the cross. They don't seem to realize that I'm not going to set up an earthly kingdom. How do I prepare them for the trouble that they're going to face? In John chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus breaks the news to them. Verse 33 says, Little children, I will be with you a little while. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Heartbreaking for his disciples. I can't come where you are, Jesus. What do you mean? Why, why can't I be where you are? I just want to be with you, Jesus. He'd done everything for his disciples. Why would they have to be separated from him? Can you imagine the heartbreak, the sorrow in Peter's heart hearing this from his master, the one that he would do anything to follow? How is it possible that he could go any place that he couldn't follow? In fact, Peter goes on to say as much. And he says, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll go anywhere with you. And then Jesus breaks it to him that he's about to betray him. But then look at what he does. Verse 34, Jesus continues and says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Do you see this? Jesus gives them the commandment to stay in the love that they have experienced with him because love has staying power in your life. Love is able to see you through difficult times. Love is able to get you through a time of trouble. And Jesus says on the brink of this moment of trouble for the disciples, they're going to see him go to the cross. They're going to see him accused falsely. They're going to see everything that they'd hoped for, their dreams dashed. And Jesus says, love, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So to abide in my love and this will help you out. And he repeats it a little bit later on. If you go to John chapter 14, In verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's power in love to see you through a troublous and difficult time. Jesus knew that, and that's why he wanted to assure his disciples of his love. He wanted to let them know that if you abide in this love, you stay in this love, it'll make all the difference for you. Just remember the love that I have for you. And that made all the difference in the world for Jesus himself. You know, in Revelation, it tells us that those who stand in the end are those who keep the commandments of God and what? And they have the faith of Jesus. They have the same faith 
that Jesus had. They have Jesus' faith in them. What was the faith that sustained Jesus on the cross? As Jesus went to the cross for you and I, imagine what it was like. You know what it's like to feel guilty. You know what it's like to feel cut off from God when you've made mistakes. You feel like there's no way to get back to God. But imagine feeling that millions and millions of times multiplied as all of the sins that have ever been committed on this planet are laid upon you. And you bear all of that sin, all of that guilt, and it presses down on you. No wonder that Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment of darkness, that moment of despair on the cross, what was it that got Jesus through? I have to know so that I can have that same faith, so that I can let him put that same faith in me, so that I too can go through the troublous times in my life. What was it that saw Jesus through? I believe we see a little key in what Jesus prays. At the end, in Matthew chapter 26, as he's giving his life, he says, Father, actually it's in Luke, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus simply trusted himself into the hands of his loving Father. How was he able to do this at the moment when he felt total separation from God? Isaiah tells us that it's your iniquities that separate you from God. He felt totally cut off from his Father. He was still God in human flesh, and yet he felt totally cut off from his Father. He felt what it'll be like for those in the end who are separated from God. He went through hell for you and me. In that moment, what sustained him was to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted himself into the loving hands of his Father. I love what it says in the Desire of Ages about this moment. Desire of Ages, page 756. It says, amid the awful darkness, apparently forsaken of God, Christ had drained the last dregs in the cup of human woe. He took it all for you. You don't need to have any guilt today. You can give it all to Jesus because he's already borne it for you on the cross. In those dreadful hours, he had relied upon the evidence of his Father's acceptance heretofore given him. He was acquainted, notice this, with the character of his Father. He understood his justice, his mercy, and his great love. Do you see what he knew about his father? He knew that his father was merciful. He knew that his father was a God of justice. He knew that his father had great love. And he simply committed himself into his father's hands. It was love that saw Jesus through the cross. Love has a way of seeing us through troublous times it goes on and says by faith he rested in him who it had ever been his joy to obey and as in submission he committed himself to God the sense of the loss of his father's favor was withdrawn by faith Christ was the victor it was by faith that he saw that God would see him through it was by faith that he trusted in his father when he couldn't see past the tomb he trusted himself into the hands of his loving father And it's the same for you and I. When we face difficult times, when we go through troubles, if we know God to be our loving Father, that He's watching out for us, we too can just simply say, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit and rest in His loving watch care 
in our lives. You know, Jesus did everything possible to prepare the disciples for that night of seeing him betrayed and that day of seeing him there on the cross. He was trying in every possible way to prepare them for that and to give them a picture of what he was trying to do for them. Go with me to one of these occasions in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, the chapter that reveals so much about the crucifixion and all that took place. But in this chapter, it tells us about that special time when they celebrated the Passover together. And at the end of that celebrating of the Passover, something that had been done for millennia, Jesus did something very special, something that we're here to commemorate today, and something that God wants for us to experience because of how it reminds us of his love and how being reminded of that love can see us through times of trouble in our life. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 26, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them and saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Then notice what he says in the next verse. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Did you know? that Jesus is currently fasting, looking forward to celebrating the great marriage feast, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. He can't wait for that day. And and to show you that, Jesus says, I'm not even going to taste of this wonderful taste of grape juice until that day. I'm waiting until we're reunited. When we are back together, I want for you to look forward to that moment And I'm looking forward to it so much so that I'm not even going to drink this wonderful juice until that moment in the kingdom. What an amazing thing because I imagine that grape juice in heaven is, is the best grape juice possible, right? And Jesus is holding back from that for you and for me. But there's something even more beautiful in this passage, something bigger that Jesus is doing here. There's something that would take place when a Jew would ask another Jew to marry him. There's a, a very interesting custom that would happen. Now, I remember back when I asked Leah to marry me, I tried to figure out the best possible way. I planned it out so that I was going to, to take her on a hike to Fresno Dome, and I was going to time it that we would get there when the sun was, rise, was setting on one side and that the moon was going to rise on the other side, and I thought, this will be perfect. She'll be in awe of of the sun, sunset and, and the moonrise, and, and it'll just be that right moment when I'll ask her to marry me. Well, unfortunately, I checked it out a week before. So when I got there, the moon actually came up, what was it, about 45 minutes later? But it's okay, because we waited and we watched the, the sunset, and then we watched the moon after that. But I just wanted to show you a picture of that engagement moment. This is us. You see, I'm extremely happy, and she... She, I believe, was extremely happy too. She, her, her response to, when I asked her was, of course, of course. But what do you notice about this picture? We are on a hike. Do you notice anything in this picture? 
What are we holding? We're holding? Good, that's right. It's not champagne. We're holding apple ciders. Martinelli's sparkling apple cider. In that moment, we were trying to, I was trying, I should say, trying to figure out what would be a fitting way to celebrate this momentous occasion. So I had put in my backpack Martinelli's apple cider with ice so that, and, and a couple of, of nice goblets. And while she had her, her eyes closed singing a song, I poured that for us, and then I asked her to marry me, and then we celebrated up there watching the sunset. And I thought it was a special moment, and I think she did too. But when a Jew would go and ask another Jew to marry him, there was a very special thing that took place. It was called the moment of betrothal, something a little bit different from what we have today. You know, if you, I put up on the screen the way that th- things happened for Leah and I. We got engaged, and at first we were planning to get married a year later, the next summer. This was about September when we got engaged. We were planning to get married the next summer. But as we went home and we talked to my parents, they said, why wait a whole year? Why not get married at Christmas? I said, well, I won't be graduated and done with college by then. They said, well, we'll figure out how to make that work. There's married student housing, you know said, okay, I love my parents more than ever. And so we were married after six months. But during that engagement period, there was the chance for us to break things off. Isn't there? Have you seen an engaged couple break up before? It happens. But something different would happen in Jewish culture. And that was this. I'll put up a different timeline for you. There was something called the betrothal. When a young man wanted to marry a woman, he would go to her father and he would propose to marry her and he would have to show something to him to prove that he was a worthy man to do this. He would have to give him a dowry, some sort of payment and how big the dowry was, was how much he valued, how much he loved that girl. And he would give this dowry, and the father would actually end up giving that to the bride, and she would be able to take that for herself as a surety in her life that she had something in case he was unfaithful to her. She had this little treasure that she could hang on to. So there was the betrothal. That was the the first step in this, what we would think of as the engagement. But this was a lot more serious than our engagement today, because When they had this betrothal, first there was the price that was paid for the bride, and then there was the marriage covenant. They would at that moment, basically just like six months later, Leah and I stood there and we said I do to each other, we gave our vows of marriage, they would do this at the moment of betrothal. Even though it would be another 12 to 18 months before they would have the wedding ceremony and they would actually begin living together. From that moment on, they were considered as husband and wife in in wedlock and they would not be able to separate or back out on that wedding commitment without getting divorced. This is a big deal to get engaged back in the day. It's a little different than today. So they would have the betrothal. Now, after he had dealt with the father and had paid that dowry and had made the deal. Then they had the marriage uh, covenant and then they would do something special. He would take out some grape juice and he would pour it in a cup 
and he would give it to his bride and she would drink it to show that she accepted the covenant. Isn't that beautiful? I don't see the look on your face like you're grasping this right now. Okay, so young man comes to young woman. He loves her. He wants to marry her. He's given the price. He's given the promise. This is what I want. I want to live with you forever. And then he would pour some grape juice into a cup and he would say, take this cup and drink it. And if she drank it, then he knew that she accepted his promise to her. And then he would say something to her. He would tell her, look, now I'm going to go to my father's house. I'm going to go to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for us. And in my father's house, I'm, I'm, I'm going to prepare this place for you and, and I don't know the time when I'm going to come back to get you. But when my father approves of this place, that's actually what he would do. He would go back to his father's house. He would build on a part, an apartment for his wife. He would do his very best for it because this is for his, his bride-to-be. But as he's building it, he didn't know the day when he would get to come back for his bride. But his father was watching. His father was the expert craftsman who would look over his work and who would say, finally one day, okay, now you can go back and you can get your bride and bring them home. And then on that day, they would head back and he would bring a wedding procession with him. As they were getting to the village, he would send men ahead of him who would go with a shofar and they would go with a sound of a trumpet into that city and say, the wedding feast, it's time for the wedding feast. Let the bride know her time has come. No wonder that at the end of the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus tells this story about how they came back and found the bridesmaids sleeping. And at the end, he says, you watch and be ready for you don't know the time when the Son of Man is coming. The bride had no idea because the groom wasn't able to tell the bride when he was coming back. Only the father knew when the time was right. And when the time was right, he would come back. And the bride needed to be ready. Do you see what Jesus was trying to do for his disciples? Look at John chapter 14. Just look at what Jesus does for his disciples, knowing that they're about to face this troublous time. First of all, he's given them the cup. There in the Last Supper, he said, take this and drink it. They knew what that meant. Some of them were married. Others were old enough to be married. And they all knew that this was what took place after a covenant was made. A covenant had been made there. He said, this is the blood of my covenant, the new covenant that I'm making with you. And then in John 14, verse 1, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Have you had a troubled heart over the past week? You had a troubled heart over the past month? Jesus says to you today, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wanted the disciples to know that just like a bridegroom loved his bride, that he loved them with a love that was immeasurable, that he was going to his father's house and he was going to be preparing a place for them. And he wanted that love to sustain them. He wanted that love to be what motivated them, what drove them to be ready for that day when he came back to get them. Isn't it beautiful, the picture of what Jesus was giving to his disciples? He wanted them to to accept this moment of engagement. And when they drank that cup, they were basically saying, I do. Jesus, I'm all in. Just like Matt said today in this baptistry. Just like you and I will be reminded through the communion service. You know, that's why Jesus established this as something for us to continue to do. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul is talking about the communion, he talks about what Jesus said in that moment. And then he adds something else after it. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you. This is the assurance that you have that I love you, that I'm your Redeemer, that I'm all in for you. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, so that you can remember my love. And then verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. There's this constant sense with the communion service that Christ has set up, this sense that He's trying to give us a revelation of His love, a revelation of His love that will see us through all the way until the day when He comes back in the clouds. Friends, we all face times of trouble. And we know that we're facing a great time of trouble before Jesus comes back in the clouds. And it's only the love of God that will see us through. It's only our faith in who our loving Savior is. It's only as we truly know God that we're able to, in His strength, keep His commandments. Friends, it means everything for us to understand this matchless love. But sometimes it's hard for us to capture because it seems like a a long ways off, a long ways in, in the past. That's why we have the communion service. It's meant to be a fresh revelation. It's meant each time we do it, that as we drink that cup, as we take that bread, that we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us. But for me, sometimes it's hard for me to imagine this Jewish custom and and all of these things about the wedding and how Jesus was doing this, how Jesus has gone to prepare a place for me. But something has helped me with that. Back last November, I went up to help my sister-in-law and her husband work on a new house that they had moved to. I thought that they were moving to a new house. 
So I thought that, you know, maybe they needed a few things to just finalize the details of their new house. But as I walked in the front doors of their house, this is what I saw. You can put up a picture there of of the living room in that house. I don't know if you can see that too well, but that's my brother-in-law, Eric, and he's there, and it is totally thrashed, in my opinion, a place that they weren't able to live in the downstairs at this point. They were living upstairs in part of the house. I wanted to go use the bathroom, and they're like, well, you can't use that bathroom because there's no toilet, and make sure you... Finally, they found a bathroom that I could potentially use that was sort of half working, and then you have to wash your hands, I think it was, maybe in another bathroom. I thought, this is their new house? But not only that, Emily, my sister-in-law, was pregnant at this point, expecting a baby who's due in March. I thought, what are they thinking? This house is by no means ready for a baby, well, that time they had me work on some, th- some things there in the living room. The next time Leah and I came back, though, they had an entirely different focus. As, as we came into the house, I'll show you the next picture. There in the upstairs, this was going to be baby Elsie's room. Now, you look at this room and it, it looks okay. It has a wood floor. It has a, a bright blue wall and a bright green wall. Okay, it's a little different, but it, it would work, Right? But as I walked in expecting that we're going to keep working on the downstairs and maybe finish off a bathroom or something else, and this, this room's probably going to be okay. In fact, by now they had carpet in that room and they had it painted and it, it looked fine to me. As we walked into that room, they said, this is the room you've got to focus on. Said, okay. And they already had a crib in this room by this point. And, and they were beginning to, to put clothes in the, in, in the closet. This, this is months before this baby is going to be born. And yet they have clothes in the closet for when she's a year old or or, or even older than that. They had all of these dresses and all of these different things prepared for Elsie. And then they said to me, here's what we, we need you to do. We have this light fixture. I said, there's a light fixture already. Why do you want a different light fixture? They said, no, this room's going to have a special light fixture. And so we took this light fixture out and we began to put up a new light fixture it was a, a little chandelier. A chandelier. I mean, there's bathrooms that don't work in this house. But they want me to put a chandelier in this bedroom. And then they wanted, we finally got that up. And then they wanted to put letters up on the wall that spelled E-L-S-I-E. And we measured it out just perfectly so that Elsie's name could be on the wall. And then we began to put pictures up here and different things trying to finish this room. We put drapes up in the corner here. Here's the next picture of, of what this room transformed to be like. I'll put one more picture that puts the whole room there. That was baby Elsie's room. Months before baby Elsie arrived, Elsie was living inside of her mother, only receiving nourishment, not giving anything to Eric and Emily at this point in time. She had not revealed the type of person that she was going to be. How did they know that she's going to be a good child? I mean, why did they want to prepare such a nice place for her? Why go to all of this expense? Why do all of this? Who knows if they're even going to like this child? But when I went to the hospital in March, the end of March, as as Elsie was born, 
I saw the joy in that room. I saw the love that was poured out on that baby. And as baby Elsie came out, and, and when a baby comes out, there's still a little bit of blood there. There's still, everybody in the room was rejoicing over this baby. Everybody was wanting to be the next one to hold baby Elsie. They loved that child. Friends, you have a loving Father in heaven. And Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. When you prepare a place for somebody, when you go through measures to make sure that that place is perfectly ready for them, it's because you love somebody. And that love is enough to get us through. When we remember the love that God has for us, it increases our faith and it enables us to live life in the midst of trying circumstances when everything turns to darkness around us. When we might feel like we're in that moment like Jesus on the cross. Although we'll never face something that intense, but when the darkness closes in on us and we feel like God has forsaken us, we too can say at that moment in time, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And just like Mena and Meyer, love will see us through. Love will get us through any time of trouble. Love builds faith. As we know God for who he is and his loving character, it changes everything. And that's why we've been given the communion service. Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me, to keep your love fresh for me. And in, I love how it describes it in the... The book Desire of Ages, page 660, it says the love of Jesus with its constraining power is to be kept fresh in our memory. Christ has instituted this service, that's the service of communion, that it may speak to our senses of the love of God that has been expressed in our behalf. You may have made a commitment years ago to be baptized, but today Jesus is wanting for you to say I do again. He's wanting you to take the cup that represents his new covenant promise that he's coming back for you, for he's coming back for his church as his spotless bride, and that he is going to make you ready for that day. And as you drink that cup, he wants you to remember his matchless love for you, a love that is far greater than my in-laws who are willing to drive hours every weekend in order to help Eric and Emily prepare that place for their granddaughter. A love that's greater than Eric and Emily who were doing everything possible to make sure that Elsie's room was prepared perfectly. A love of a heavenly father who's perfect and who wants nothing but good for your life. You can trust somebody like that. You can have faith in somebody like that. Knowing his love and accepting his gift, you can face anything in life with confidence. So today, we get the opportunity to celebrate communion together. Before I divide us up to go into the different places to, to prepare for that, I'd just like to have a moment of prayer. And in that prayer, I'd just like for you to take a moment of silence and just to ask that today, Jesus would freshly reveal his love to you as you've never seen it before. That through this, you really would be brought to remember his new covenant for you. And that he's coming back for you. That he's prepared a place just for you. And that he desperately wants you to be ready for that day. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege to call you Father.
Lord, sometimes we've wondered why it's taken so long, and yet when we read about the glories to come, we can't but say we trust You and we thank You for how You are preparing a place for us. Lord, this morning, we just want to take a moment to ask that through all that we do in this service of the communion, that we would be brought to a fresh revelation, a fresh reminder of your love today. Lord, hear our prayers in the silence of our hearts. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for increasing our faith, Lord. When we recognize that we are praying to our loving Heavenly Father, who wants to give us good gifts. What confidence, what faith that gives us, what desire it stirs in our hearts to be faithful to you, to be fully surrendered, to be all in, to be watchful and ready for that day when you come back for us. Oh God, please bless in this communion service. May we see your love as we've never seen it before. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.